open your Bibles to Mark chapter 7. Everybody doing all right? Everybody's alive and awake? <laughs> Mark chapter 7. We are going to start with verse 24. And we're just going to verse 30. So we're not going very far. This is one of the famous stories that you've heard of before. Mark 7, verse 24. And from there he arose and went away to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And he entered a house and did not want anyone to know, yet he could not be hidden. But immediately a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit heard of him and came and fell down at his feet. Now the woman was a Gentile, a Syrophoenician by birth, and she begged him to cast the demon out of her daughter. And he said to her, Let the children be fed first, for it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. But she answered him, Yes, Lord, yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. And he said to her, for this statement, you may go your way. The demon has left your daughter. And she went home and found the child lying in bed, and the demon gone. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you are watching over your word to perform it. Lord, when we read an account like this, I pray, God, that you would perform in our hearts this morning by the power of the Holy Spirit all the work that needs performed in us. God, if we're struggling, if we're doubting, if we're drifting, if we're calloused, Lord, if we need encouragement, Lord, there's a hundred things going on in this room that you know intimately, and I pray, Lord, you would do that work in the hearts of these people and anybody watching or listening on a podcast somewhere. Lord, I ask that you would help me to communicate and do it in a way that brings you glory. Lord, we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. So, this story is one of those stories that if you go to Bible college somewhere, uh, boy, do people like to talk about this, this story. Uh, one of the reasons is, is the way that it sounds uh, for Jesus to be calling someone a dog. That causes people to kind of stop and go, wait a second. Is this the eight pound, six ounce baby Jesus? Uh, is that what that like th this this conception of uh, that we have of him for these words to be coming out of his mouth causes people to go, whoa, what's going on here? Um, but there's some other things about this that are that are really interesting. So I want to give kind of some background and uh, the geography and a little bit of that, and then we're going to go in and talk about um, how different. This Greek-speaking Syro-Phoenician woman is from the Pharisees we were just talking about last week. So let's let's start with where we were last week. The Pharisees had come 90 miles to challenge Jesus's disciples about hand-washing rituals. Okay, they had come 90 miles to challenge. Jesus was really frustrated with them and explains to them that 
they have got everything backwards and upside down. He talked about the Corban rule. Remember where you would say, anything I would give to you, mom or dad, to take care of you in your old age or in your sickness, because there was no Social Security. There were no nursing homes. There was nothing like that at all. Families took care of families. And they had a responsibility to do so. And, well, we're not going to do it, Dad. We know, you're, we know you're getting sick and aren't able to take care of yourself because I've already declared my income as Corbin. It's a gift unto God. Therefore, I don't have to give it to you. Now, I'm free to spend it on myself because, after all, i got to eat. But I've already declared whatever I would have given to you as a gift to God. And Jesus said, you have completely nullified the word of God in favor of your tradition. Not to mention it's a greedy tradition. You have nullified the word of God which says, honor your father and your mother. So Jesus has already dealt with the Pharisees. And then as he's talking about the whole idea of it's not what goes into a man that defiles a man, it's what comes out of him, and that the heart is the root of the wickedness. The heart is deceitful above all things. Who can know it? I, the Lord, weigh the hearts. That was last week. And the disciples, if you remember, got Jesus in private and said, uh, could you explain that to us? And Jesus said, you still don't understand. You don't understand. His own disciples, they don't get it. So now Mark in this story has given us this lady who clearly gets something that they don't get. And that's where, that's where we're landing. But let's, let's talk a little bit about the geography. If you were looking at a map, which I would put up here, but we don't have the screen back up yet. Uh, if you were looking at a map, you would see the Sea of Galilee. And if you just went up about 20 miles northwest, you would wind up in a little place today called Lebanon. And there is Tyre and Sidon. It's Gentile. It's not Jewish. In fact, and, and I did not know this until I was studying this portion of Scripture, uh, this is the only time Jesus left Israel. All of his journeying through all the Gospels is within historical ancient Israel. But this is the one time that he goes into Gentile land. And look at why he did that. Look at verse 24. From there he arose, went away to the region of Tyre and Sidon, and he entered a house and did not want anyone to know. It's kind of a strange thing. But if you, if you remember back in chapter 6, Jesus tried twice to go get some rest. Remember? And each time he's like, he's, the crowds are following him everywhere, and he's trying to get the disciples away and himself to rest, to recharge, because that's essential for our lives and ministry, and every time he's, he's still being bombarded by people, which he ministered to. He didn't turn them away. Here, he's like, I'm gonna, I am just going up to the Gentile region because all these people, and he just had this episode, they were all upset about being around unclean stuff anyway. I'm just going to go right up there among the unclean people. He goes to a house, doesn't want anybody to know, yet he could not be hidden. Now, if I was a better preacher, I could preach for 45 minutes on that sentence. He could not be hidden. You can make up your own sermon, but here's the idea. You can't hide Jesus. There's the preacher voice, okay? You can't hide him. He is everywhere. Who's the, uh, is it 
S.M. Lockridge, is that his name? That's my Jesus. You remember, you know, that, that, that clip where he's just going on and on about who Jesus is, and towards the end of it, he says, I wish I could describe him to you. He's, unde- he's undescribable. You, you can't say enough about him, and you can't hide him. Jesus will never be hidden. Even in oppressive communist regimes that try to limit any exposure to Jesus, he breaks out through the gospel all the time. You can't stop God. Okay, that sentence, you could preach on that for a long time. He couldn't be hidden. His reputation, just 20, 25 miles to the south uh, east, had spread up into this Gentile region, which is a Greek-speaking region. It was Hellenized by uh, Alexander the Great about 300 years prior to that. Everybody knows Alexander the Great and the Greek conquest and spread Greek thinking all over the place. Well, this is one of those areas. This woman is a Greek-speaking woman. But she knows who Jesus is. The problem that she has is her little girl, and we don't know how old, I'm going to take it to mean 10 years old or younger, Arwen's age, is harassed and possessed by a demon. We're not given any explanation how or why. We just It just is. Now, the ministry of Jesus, in the book of Mark in particular, has got all kinds of examples of him casting out demons. It's got all kinds of examples of him driving them out, and everywhere he shows up in synagogues, if they are there, they get scared. They want to know why he's there. They don't want anything to do with him. The reputation of Jesus in that regard is spread all throughout the region, and it's went into this Gentile country, and this woman, who has a little girl at home, who is demon-possessed, says, if I can get to him, I, my, my daughter is going to be better. So she does. Look at verse 25. I like how it always says, uh, immediately. Mark is always using that word. But immediately, a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit heard of him, and came and fell down at his feet. She did not come any other way but in worship. The image there is she fell on her face at his feet with her face in the dirt. This is a Greek woman with her face in the dirt to a Jewish rabbi, but she knows something is different about him. And Mark decides to explain it to the readers. The woman was a Gentile, a Syrophoenician by birth. And she begged him to cast the demon out of her daughter. She is begging and pleading. Moms, if you... By the way, let me share this testimony. We prayed for my little niece, Chloe, two weeks ago. She had a really fantastic, miraculous turnaround My sister shared the testimony of how she felt prompted by the Holy Spirit to pray in the middle. Her blood pressure went down to like 50 over 10 or some crazy number. 
she was like fading off into the distance. It was just one of the almost inexplicable uh, the condition that she was in. And um, in that moment, my sister was just absolutely, she was telling us, desperate. Desperate. Because she's saying her daughter's name, Chloe, Chloe, Chloe. And Chloe's saying, where's mama? She can't hear mom who's right there on top of her. So Chloe's like in a really bad spot. The doctors have been trying for several days. They can't figure out what's going on with her. Her blood pressure bottoms out, you know, when that happens or the doctors come in and the nurses come in. You know how that works. And then she, she came back up. And the, the, she's totally fine now. She's completely healed and recovered, and it's, it's wonderful. But in that moment of desperation, that is the desperation of a mom pleading with somebody to help. Moms, do you know what I'm talking about? If, if your kid is sick and you're in that spot where you are just desperate, desperate, that's where she is. This woman is desperate for God to do something. In the book of Matthew, when you read that account, what's actually happening there, you get a little more detail, Jesus is actually not even responding. He's walking. She's in the background coming up to him, falling down and begging. And the disciples in Matthew's account in chapter 15 say, Jesus, send her away. She's bugging us. That's the paraphrase. That's not what they actually say. But Jesus, she's annoying. Get her out of here. Trying to rest. And that's when Jesus turns to her and says, verse 27, He said to her, Let the children be fed first. For it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. So what do we do with that sentence? So, first, first things first. Jesus, and he says it in Matthew, he says, I was sent to the lost sheep of Israel. Which helps clarify what he's saying here. Jesus is saying, I was not sent in this moment, to reach out to Gentile people. In fact, this is the only time I'm ever outside of the borders of Israel. I am sent to the lost house of Israel. This is echoed in the, in the epistles as well. Paul says in Romans, we preach the gospel to the Jew first, and then also to the Greek. That, that formula is used a lot. In other words, the lost house of Israel gets the first dibs on hearing the gospel. That's who God came to first. Jesus was sent to the lost house of Israel to act as Messiah, prophet, and king, call the nation of Israel to repentance, and then inaugurate and open up the kingdom of God to all of planet Earth. But that wasn't yet. That was coming. Jesus knows it's coming, and so you can hear it in his language. 
Let the children be fed first. There's an implication there. There's a day coming for you Greek-speaking Syrophoenician women. There's a day coming for you Gentiles. But it's not yet. Now, if that's all that he said, everybody would be like, okay, that makes sense, Pastor Steve. I'm, I feel good. Except when you keep reading, he says, it's let the little children be fed first, for it's not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. How many, how many people have dogs? How many of you have dogs in the house? Does anybody ever feed the dog from the table? Some of you probably do. There's probably some rules and some fights that you're not supposed to, because then if you do, the dog, what will the dog do if you feed it from the table while you're eating dinner? The next time you're eating dinner, it will be right there at the table staring up at you with the big puppy eyes, right? Asking for more. So, so most of the time, people don't. But sometimes they do. <laughs> so anyway, I see some people smiling. But Jesus is saying it's not right to take from the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Now let's say something about dogs. There were two kinds of dogs in the first century. There were the dogs that were roving the streets, the strays, the hounds. They were the kind of dogs that you did not want as a pet. They ate garbage. They ate dead things. They were even known to dig up human graves and eat people. They, were, they weren't good. They, they hung around scraps, scrap yards, and they were not pets. But in the first century, they did have house dogs that they did have as pets. And most of the time, that was when they were little puppies. Now, the reason we know that is, and you don't know it in English, but you see it in Greek, when Jesus says, we don't take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs, that word dog in Greek means literally little dog. Parentheses, puppy. If you go to the, the verse in Matthew chapter 7 on the Sermon on the Mount, when Jesus says that we don't cast our pearls before swine or something there about Dogs, right? We don't, we don't cast it out before dogs. When Jesus uses the word dogs there, he is not using this word. He's using the word for the grown-up dogs of the scrapyard. He's using a junkyard dog type term, not this term. So there's a distinction. Jesus is not calling the woman a scrapyard, junkyard dog. He's saying it is not, he's making a comparison. I'm here for the children of Israel. We don't throw scraps to the little puppies, the little dogs. It's still not the most complimentary thing, but it would have been an understandable illustration to say, I'm here for the children of Israel. So I think that is important to know the way Jesus is addressing her. Now here is where it gets great. She answered him, verse 28, Yes, Lord, yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. She recognizes that what Jesus is saying is true. 
she recognizes what his ministry is there to accomplish. She understands that he has something that he is doing and that it's not directed at her. But she also understands it's like having this, this is one of these stories in the ministry of Jesus that's, that's like a foreshadowing of the grace that is coming to the whole world. She has this foreshadowing understanding that even crumbs fall off the table and the little dogs eat them. The little scraps that come off the table the dogs get I'm not asking you, Jesus, to do anything other than let me have some crumbs. That's what she's saying. And Jesus' reaction to that is awesome. Because he recognizes that she understands what's going on. She has humbly come before him in worship. She's humbled herself, she is desperate, and in that moment of desperation, it's, uh, it's almost like a, a witty back and forth. Yes, Lord, you're right, but even the dogs get the crumbs. Jesus, verse 29, he said to her, for this statement, Matthew says, because of your great faith, you may go your way. The demon has left your daughter. So Jesus, in this moment, with this woman, sees that she gets it, that she understands, that she has faith. She's not Jewish. She's Greek. But Jesus says, I am healing your daughter right now because you get it. You get who I am. You've approached me as who I am. And I am honoring your faith right here, right now. Verse 30, she went home, found the child lying in bed, and the demon is gone. So what do we, what do we learn from this? One, you can learn that Jesus needed to rest. And he didn't always get to. <laughs> but, he, but he sought out moments of rest in his ministry. I don't know how seriously we take that. Um, but we should take it seriously that there's a Sabbath in the Bible for a reason. That we are not supposed to be people that are just always burning the candle at both ends. We should stop and be with our family, and worship God, and enjoy all things richly that He's given us to enjoy. But the ratio is one day out of the week with six days of work. So you're still going to work hard, right? You're still going to work hard. But you also need to have a moment of rest. So that's one thing that we can learn out of this. Uh, another thing you can learn out of this is that this is an example similar to what I started with in the announcements about prayer. 
that we should be persistent in our prayers. That we should be people who do not quit and give up because Jesus appears to continue to be walking. Because when she first approached Jesus, if she had given up after the very first time saying, Jesus, heal my daughter, and Jesus doesn't respond, and she goes, okay. That's not what she did. You, you and I are supposed to be people that knock on the door, seek, and ask until the door is open, until the request is granted, or until there's some kind of knowing, okay, Lord, if you're, if you're not going to do this, I'm, I'm going to seek you and worship you anyway. Kind of like when Job says, though he slay me, yet I will praise him. We, we are pressing into God on a regular basis. That is, what we are, that is what faith is doing. It is always seeking God. Always. We don't quit. It's one thing to say, yes, we believe that God is sovereign and in charge of the way he answers. But it's not the same thing to say that you say one prayer, nothing happened, que sera, sera, must be God's will, I'm done. That is not what we are supposed to be doing. We are supposed to be pressing in and asking and seeking. Jim Cimbala told a story of uh, somebody in his church who had been um, saved out of a homosexual lifestyle. This was back, I believe it was in the 80s, when AIDS was still just a massive epidemic. Um, and this person had AIDS, and they, they, were, they had lost a lot of weight, and they, it wasn't a good situation. They, they clearly looked like they were about to die. They come for prayer, for healing, and in his mind and in his heart, he's like, this person is so far gone. Um, he was already preparing to pray in such a way that was more about comforting the person uh, and thanking God for their salvation. And he felt rebuked by the Lord to say, don't give up on this person. And so instead, they, be they really began to seek God for healing for this person in prayer. And, uh, and the person was healed. And lived, uh, I forget how many years past that. It was uh, like 15, 20 years, way past the amount of time that they should have lived. So we don't stop. We don't quit. Uh, I, have, I have dreamed and prayed that this church would be 500 people, 1,000 people. I would not be working a job at a bank. I would be here full time. I have dreamed and prayed that for 22 years. Uh, and I'm going to keep praying that, and I'm going to ask all of us to keep praying that, not so that I can quit my job and work, be here all the time, even though that is definitely, uh, I don't want to call it a side benefit, it is a major benefit, uh, but that's just selfishly speaking from my point of view, but to see people saved and people's lives changed and marriages staying together rather than falling apart and to see God at work in people's lives, that's, that's what we want to see. Would be awesome to just say this church just had a, some God did this thing in the West End in this crummy little school building and and the whole neighborhood was talking about God and His works and what He was doing. So so we want to pray and press into God and not quit. That is something we learn from this woman. We learned that Jesus had a mission 
and he did that mission. But that didn't mean that when somebody that was outside of that mission that approached him with faith and approached him with worship and humility, that he was just going to ignore them. Nor should we say that I am so committed to the idea of rest that, no, 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 I have this moment of rest. I can't be of service or ministry to anybody. We should always be open-hearted people for worship or for ministry to others in whatever capacity we can do it. What else did we learn in here? We learned there's a difference between puppies and scrapyard dogs. So if you ever run into somebody online in particular that likes to use this verse, there's different people that will use this. Boy, the stuff people can do with theology and with contemporary culture, but they'll say this is an evidence of Jesus not living a sinless life because he'd so demeaned this woman rather than empowering her. He engaged in patriarchal categories or something. That's the kind of stuff that we need to just let the light of Scripture shine really bright on with love. But realize Jesus, he had a mission, but he he was compassionate outside of that mission. And really, the real deal in this is, is that this woman's little girl was healed because of the power of God, but because somebody would not give up or quit in their faithful seeking after God. Really, what what Mark, I think, is trying to do is really just highlight the difference between a Pharisee and a disciple that's hard-hearted and doesn't get what Jesus is doing, and a mom that is desperate for God to act. And the, di- the difference is, is the steady pursuing of God and not giving up. That is the main thing that I get out of this portion of Scripture. Now, I was going to try... Oh my gosh, it's only 11.30. I almost could, but I don't have it ready. I was going to go into the next section of the Scripture uh, about Jesus spitting and putting fingers and ears and all kinds of interesting things that make absolutely no sense why in the world is Jesus doing that. But he did. So uh, we're going to talk about that uh, next week. So, guys, I, uh, I'm trying to beat Lee and getting you out of here at a certain time, so I don't know if this beats Lee or Rob, but it's 1130. I'm going to have everybody stand up. We're going to be dismissed. Let's go ahead and pray. Father, we thank you for this day. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the example of this woman. We thank you, Lord, that that you've given us a lot of examples in Scripture of persistently pursuing you, 
of not quitting, of not giving up, of calling on your name, of knocking on the door, of seeking. Lord, I pray that you would, throughout this whole year, that we would have determined hearts to seek you, to go after you, to not give up, to not put down our arms and just shuffle off and say, this is just the way it is. Lord, we thank you that through your help by the power of the Holy Spirit, Lord, we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. God, be with us this week. Let us shine like lights at work and at home, in our neighborhoods, in whatever capacity we're interacting with others. Let us be the light to the world. Lord, we thank you for all of this. In the name of Jesus, amen. Church, you are officially dismissed.